Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. Today we're going to be more or less focusing on the, the art of the ratio. One thing I'll start by saying, honestly, is that people don't understand what the ratio really is. People think it's bad to get ratioed, but that's a myth. It, it's honestly a myth. This idea that the that the ratio, getting ratioed on Twitter, for those of you, by the way, who don't even know what that is, real quick, I'll recap. The, to get ratioed basically means when the ratio between the replies and your retweets is really high. Yeah. Hi. So if you're getting way more replies than retweets, people see this as a, a signal or an index that it's a really bad tweet, that you've failed in some way, that this is to be avoided. And when it happens, it's it's embarrassing. This is just simply false. This is propaganda put out by blue checks and people who are trying to climb institutionalized status hierarchies, people who are pretty much just trying to be liked by as many people as possible. That's who thinks that getting ratioed is a bad thing, all right? If you're a philosopher or an artist or a true thinker of any kind, certainly if you're a genuine kind of political revolutionary who's interested in smashing all lies and deceptions wherever you can find them, for any type of person like this, getting ratioed is generally a good thing. First of all, nothing bad happens, okay? Other than a large number of people saying nasty things to you. I mean, that's easy to brush off the shoulder. Because it's pretty obvious these people are idiots. One way you learn pretty quickly that these people are idiots is that half of them criticize you for one thing and then the other half criticize you for something that is typically the exact opposite. So usually, if you want to kind of go deep on the anatomy of a ratio, because uh, I've been through this rodeo a few times now, what you learn is that the ones that are the tweets that are most explosive, that are most likely to get ratioed, usually pinpoint some sort of really foundational tension in our society that the left and the right kind of agree to not really talk about. And when that happens, one of the symptoms of this type type of phenomenon, one of the ways you know that you've really hit the nail on the head is you get two totally opposite and contradictory, mutually exclusive types of attacks on you. Okay. And then another thing you realize, so I'll go into detail on that and kind of uh, unpack what I mean by that. I'll give you some examples from my current fiasco, which is ongoing at the moment. For instance, I'm still, every time I refresh my notifications, it's just nonstop. So, okay. So I'll circle back to that with details and kind of break that down for you. But, uh, oh yeah, Ashley in the chat says, I thought it was replies versus likes. Um, I think it's, some people say that the the definition of the ratio is you add replies. Um, no, no, it's it's replies on the one hand and then retweets and likes on the other. Okay, so it's the ratio between those two sets. So replies and likes get put together, I believe. There are obviously different ways you can calculate the ratio, but 
um, you know, the, the basic logic, however you choose to operationalize it, to use a social scientific term, it, you know, it's basically um, looking at how many of the good signals you're getting versus how many of the bad signals where retweets are seen as the good signal and a large number of replies are seen as hatred. Now, something that kind of confuses that, by the way, is that when people quote tweet you, that doesn't show up in any of the in any of these metrics. So um, and generally, I find that when I'm getting ratioed, I'm also getting quote tweeted. So if you could measure that, that would also go on the side of the the negative response. Generally, I think. Okay, so pretty much, let's just go into let's go into a little bit of detail on on the anatomy of on the anatomy of the ratio. So let's break down what's going on in in my tweet, for instance. If you look, I have it here. Um, this is the one that kicked off last night. And literally, I was just on Facebook. I was browsing through the newsfeed. I try to stay off Facebook because I hate it. I almost never write on it, but like all Westerners, I'm uh, kind of connected to it and uh, habitually check into it every so often just to see what the the sheeple are talking about. And uh, I see this ad in my newsfeed and I'm just scrolling and boom, there it is. I mean, people on the internet are calling me horny. Like I'm like, you know, <laughs> look looking through the photo too carefully in a way that's like dubious. Like, why am I paying so much attention to her breast? But I think it's pretty obvious. Also, frankly, I mean, if you're just a normal heterosexual man, not particularly horny or anything like that, and you're scrolling through your newsfeed and, you know, you see an ad where there's like a, a woman featured in the center of it, it's just kind of a very natural thing to like, you, you just kind of look at, you know, what's, you know, what's going on with her. And uh, I just, so I noticed, I was like, is that her nipple? And I honestly wasn't sure. Like I thought maybe I, I have a very messy screen, like a computer screen. It's got gunk on it all the time because I'm like always on my laptop and I'm bringing it everywhere I go. And so sometimes it'll happen that there's actually gunk on the laptop. So it makes it look like there's something on an image on the screen. So I actually had to scroll up and I like did a double take. I scrolled up and down to see if the gunk would follow or not. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, I guess it could be a weird wrinkle in the clothing, but unless I'm crazy, like I honestly wasn't sure. I, I was sort of like, um, so that was the, that was the, just the immediate intuitive reaction I had. I was like, Hmm, this is interesting because, and I, and I still think this is, this is really, really interesting. My tweet was not just a troll. I mean, this is, um, this seems to be a pretty profound moment. I, I really do think. And in five years and 10 years, we might actually look back to this very tweet and be like, Oh wow. Justin really pinpointed when, something really shifted because obviously it's always been well known that, um, you know, sex sells obviously and in politics looking good and ha being charismatic. These are political powers. There's nothing new or profound about that. But up until now, the political class has always kind of agreed implicitly to not go explicit with essentially using sexual assets to, attract votes or donations. And I mean, I'm not on, I'm not even judging. Honestly, if you look carefully at my tweet, I did not judge. I did, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying this seems to be a, a, a wall that is now being broken somewhat explicitly. And here's the thing. I don't even know. I have no idea if it was on purpose and I don't especially care. Like I'm not, I'm honestly not getting on her back or anything like that. Um, but here's the thing. Anyone who runs Facebook ads knows that when you you run a bunch of ads 
and it tells you which ones are performing better, right? And you pull the ones that aren't performing well and you let continue the ones that are performing better. And so I would bet anything that even if this was an accident and it totally could be an accident and that's fine. I would bet anything that the reason it got onto my newsfeed and the reason this one is the one that's being promoted is probably because it's performing better. And at some point in that process, some intern or whoever is running the, the Facebook ads would have had to have realized, oh yeah. Or another thing, here's another thing. Um, when you have a large following, like you're an elected representative, you have a pretty damn large following, even if you're not that well known, people will respond to you and tell you if there's something out of whack, right? So AOC has a lot of fans, right? There are a lot of people who follow her, like her, support her. Uh, so the moment this ad went out, even if it was an accident, I guarantee you that she got messages in her inbox from people who were concerned or sympathetic or just wanted to alert her in case it was a mistake who said, Hey, just to let you know, you know, you're, um, I don't even want to use the, I don't even want to use bodily language. I'm actually like, honestly, a very polite, respectful, um, man, I, I, I feel uncomfortable even saying, uh, the, the N word, <laughs> Uh, in this context, in any event, I bet I would bet my bottom dollar that when this ad went out, someone sent her a message. At least one person sent the Facebook account a message saying, "Hey, just let just want to let you know in case this was an accident." Okay, so what that means is that even if it was an accident, and it totally could have been, it I would bet my bottom dollar that a the ad is performing better than other ads. So that's one reason why they decided to keep it, and then two, after after it was brought to their attention, there was, there had to have been some type of higher level discussion where the intern or the Facebook ads person brought it to AOC or brought it to a senior staffer or whatever and said, uh, Hey, we got a situation on our hands. Um, we got a little nip slip here. Didn't mean to do that, but it turns out that ad's performing really well. Uh, what should we do? And someone had to make an executive decision and I'm going to bet my money that someone made that decision to say, let it run, baby. This is the world that we're in now. And that is profound to me. So, um, or on the other hand, it could have been on purpose. I mean, maybe AOC is a genius, honestly. Maybe she's a strategic genius and she knows what she's got and um, she's going to use it to the maximum to promote and achieve the the socialist vision. I'm not hating on that. I'm honestly not. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's definitely has its issues. I mean, we have to think about this as a, as a culture, as a society, what it means if politicians are going to be now explicitly dabbling in this type of tactic. I, and as a Catholic man, I, I definitely have some reservations about it. But in the moment, I mean, this was just, I was just calling attention to it, just kind of pinching my cheek online, if you will, like saying, is this, am I right that this is really happening? And so the way that I see it is either she's a strategic genius and she, you know, degaff and is like, I'm going to, I'm going to work what I got to achieve socialism or on the other hand, it is possible that um, it was an accident, but then the idea that it was an accident and also that it was never understood or realized at any point by anyone on the campaign or on, on, on the staff team is I think completely uh, impossible to believe. I find that totally implausible. So here we are, here we are. I think, this is the beginning of where we are going to see politicians uh, now, now shamelessly and explicitly in a way that's not even hidden. They're going to start leveraging kind of sexual assets for for votes and for donations. And frankly, I mean, I'm a little I'm a little intrigued to see where it goes. You know, call me a swing voter, if you will. 
in any event, that's the tweet. And so what I thought is we could break down a little bit um, why this got ratioed, why, why do certain tweets or certain comments in the public sphere elicit such extraordinary polarizing reactions? And so the way that I thought we should do this is I am going to – I made some notes reading through my my notifications, which are totally blowing up, and I've, I've been observing what are the common lines of critique, like what are people saying to me when they're – when they're enraged at my at my tweet, and as I said before, it's very interesting because it's generally two contradictory things that you get in trouble for when you really, you know, when you really zero in on some foundational hypocrisy in our society. And the one is the first one is people are calling me a creepy, horny incel. This is like one line of critique that I'm that I don't get enough sex, so I'm like you know looking too closely at women's photos, and this is disgusting of me i'm a loser pathetic incel that who like hasn't had sex in a long time so that's why i'm you know pervishly obsessing over minute details of of photographs or something like that that's one of critique that's one critique the second critique is that i'm a sexist jerk who you know thinks women should not be allowed to you know go out in public (laughs) And so what's interesting if you if you think about this is that these are these are essentially mutually exclusive. The first critique is that I am sort of uh I I I like too much the nip slip. And the second critique is that I dislike too much the nip slip. And so clearly not both of these things not both of these things can be wrong. One half of the people jumping on me are are inaccurate in their diagnosis of me. So that's, that's the first thing to, to recognize or realize. It's kind of interesting. And I also thought it'd be fun to just kind of go through, respond to these critiques. Like it's sort of stupid to do it on Twitter because it's a waste of time and these people are just kind of like brain dead zombies. So there's no point in responding to them. But for people who watch my stuff and who might be following along, might be curious, oh, you know, is Justin a kind of horny incel <laughs> or something like that? I thought it'd be fun to, yeah, just for you all to kind of explain what I'm really doing here. Well, I've already done that a little bit, but now I want to kind of respond to some of these critiques. So first of all, I'm not an incel. (laughs) I'm happily married. I've been married for six years and for what it's worth, my wife is hot. So y'all can fuck off on that point. Um, And also I'm not especially horny. Like I'll be fairly transparent with you. I, I, okay. I mean, I like having sex and I have sex, I would say on a, uh, fairly average schedule probably, but I'm not like a super sexual person. The truth is just is what it is. I, I don't think, I don't see that as, as good or bad. I love my wife. She's hot. I'm attracted to her and that that's great. But um, no, like I don't think about sex very much. I don't, I don't really watch porn. I mean, I'm not an angel. I'm not claiming to be, you know, a perfect uh, pure person, but um, I generally don't watch porn. That's true. And um, yeah, I'm, I don't really, I don't even like movie. Like, I don't even like sex in movies. Like when I see sex in movies, I generally, um, I'm not into it. I think it's, I think it's weird. Um, so if anything, I'm, if anything, I'm a bit of a prude. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not like a kind of sex obsessed, you know, foaming at the mouth, uh, incel who's just like wanting any bit of kind of sexual material I can find. I'm just, uh, but on a biographical data-based way, I am, I'm, this is not me. So happy to 
kind of put that critique out. And another thing is that, so for the second critique that I'm seeing, that I'm a sexist jerk who thinks women shouldn't go out in public, aside from the fact that it's contradictory to the first point, it's not true at all. Like I am, I like women. I'm cool with women doing things in public. <laughs> I, I, I'm generally a feminist. I, I, and even today when feminism is kind of seen as the dumbest thing ever, like the public face of feminism is dumber now than it's ever been. It's in general, nine out of 10 things that you see in public that are labeled feminism are so cringy and stupid and embarrassing. Even still, nonetheless, I am not ashamed to on some level say that I'm a feminist. I obviously don't talk about this very much. I, I'm not like actively uh, branding myself as a feminist because the, the brand is so cringy feminism today. But, um, but yeah, when it comes down to it, I am, I'm supportive of, of women's liberation. hundred percent. I like seeing women uh, do interesting, provocative things in public that generally historically they have not been allowed to do. And that patriarchal men would say they should not do, you know? So, I mean, in, Part of me thinks AOC is a badass for doing this. I mean, it takes some courage, right? Um, I do think it's problematic, and, and, I, and I am quite worried about the increasing kind of instrumentalization of sex in our society. But, you know, the, my honest state of mind at this moment, reflecting on this particular uh, threshold that we're at in this particular event of this um, of sexual Facebook ad, you know, I, I the truth is I have pretty mixed emotions, and I don't. I don't really, I'm not really feeling extremely critical. Like I'm not a right winger on this point that who's like up in arms. Like you, you can hear me talk naturally now. I'm not like, I'm not like, this is the signal that our society is collapsing and we need to lock up our daughters and AOC should be in prison. You know, I'm not like, this is not like a Glenn Beck kind of like conservative tirade. I think it's pretty clear if you're listening at all over the past few minutes. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting down on her, I'm not trying to uh, cramp her style. I'm just observing. I think that the comment I made in the tweet is, is essentially true. It does seem to me that now we are crossing this Rubicon where sexual assets will be increasingly deployed shamelessly and openly for electoral gain. And here's a prediction. If I'm right, then in five years, in 10 years, you're going to see more and more attractive young women and uh, going into politics, and they're going to be utilizing their sexual assets more and more. So Mark my words. If there's more of this in the next five years, then my diagnosis at this moment will be correct and people will remember, oh, Justin was the first to nail this. If it doesn't, if we, if we don't see this stuff increasing over the next five to 10 years, then uh, people can say I was wrong and I would be wrong. So that's, that's, that's that. I mean, look, think about this way. Here's a, here's a science fiction scenario for you. It's, it's 2049. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is running for president. She's neck and neck with another competitor who is 15 years younger. She has notoriously, infamously fake breasts. And she might have had a previous line of work in sex work, perhaps. And she's really in the news this campaign in 2049 because to raise money for her campaign, she's selling her underwear or selling archives of old videos and photos of her performing sex work of various kinds. So AOC in 2049, you know, she's not, she's not willing to, to stoop that low, but 
in the future. Now that this, now that this has been mainstreamed, now that the wall has been broken, it's hard to imagine how to avoid that type of long run consequence. I think there's been a kind of implicit agreement among politicians to not do this kind of thing. And so now if it is going to be main, if it is going, if this wall is going to be opened up or broken down, you're just going to see more and more uh, upstarts compete on that dimension. And I mean, I think currently AOC is kind of the leader of this because she is young. She is pretty hot and, you know, she's smart and charismatic and, and cool. And uh, she knows how to use it all. And so it's in her interest to open this can of worms now. But when she's 45, when she's 50, might not be in her interest so much. And there are going to come less scrupulous young people, most likely women in particular, who are going to pick up where she left off. And where this ends, I do not know. As a as a man, I have to admit I'm somewhat curious. As a Catholic, I have to admit I'm somewhat horrified. But who knows? I'm not I'm not I'm not doomsaying, and I'm certainly not cheerleading for it. Also, but uh, this seems to be this seems to be the inevitable long run trajectory. If this is what's happening now, here's something interesting to think about. Since my tweet is uh, seems to be getting a lot of traction. I'm honestly kind of curious to see if it if it makes its way to AOC. You know, I have lots of friends like in DSA and stuff like that, so I'm sure you know I'm probably um, only one step removed from AOC in terms of social networks. So I'm kind of curious to see if it gets to her, and then I'm curious to see if she responds to it. I mean, I would be very very interested, just in a genuine curious way. Like if it was on purpose, what is her position on it? It would be really interesting. Like, is she going to maybe own it and say, yeah, who cares? Um, it's good advertising. Or is she going to say it was an accident? Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Let me take it down. This is indecent. Um, or I, I'm just honestly curious to know what her response would be. Like, what is the actual position of the AOC team on this type of advertising? Um, someone is asking what this is about. I will uh, post it. There you go. This is this is what we were reflecting on my tweet of last night. And yeah, so I, I would be very curious to know. I just think it's very, it's very interesting. So what else? Okay, another thing that a lot of people were throwing at me online that, that I'd like to address, because again, it's pretty interesting, is people are saying, oh, you're a hypocrite, Justin, because you're not criticizing Melania and Ivanka, who apparently, I did not know this, but now it's been brought to my attention <laughs> dozens of times on Twitter. They both had... Uh, a few photos over the years that showed their nipples underneath clothing. And well, in, in some cases, even outside of clothing, but people were calling me a hypocrite saying, why, why aren't I critiquing that? Well, first of all, I didn't, I never even saw those. I live under a rock. I'm a philosopher. I read books. I talk about obscure kind of philosophical and scientific concepts. I do research. I, I don't really pay attention to this, uh, chit chat that people are so obsessed with on a daily basis. So I never actually never saw any of those photos. That's the first honest answer. The second answer is that there's a major difference. Okay. Um, the first big difference is that neither Melania nor Ivanka are elected representatives. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty much 
uh, all there is to that. So my point about AOC is not to even to critique AOC. My tweet was to say this is a threshold that we are crossing. This is a Rubicon moment where an elected official is going to now shamelessly use sexual assets for electoral purposes. I'm I'm not a you know obviously as I said at the beginning of this live stream, politicians have always used you know good looks and stuff like that for for power. That's there's nothing profound about that observation. But my understanding, my read on things is that there has always been a kind of implicit agreement within the professional political class that you're not going to start competing on who has the nicest breasts or who can show the most um, skin, right? And this has been a kind of implicit agreement to not to not use these assets for political competition. And I think as things are getting increasingly crazy, young, attractive women are going to start to think, and quite reasonably so, to be honest, they're going to start to think, well, this seems like a stupid rule. It seems like an unnecessary, arbitrary, moral prohibition. And especially if you are kind of one of these crazy people today who think like, Trump represents the arrival of fascism in America and the stakes are so high. If we don't achieve socialism tomorrow, then it's going to be fascism tomorrow. Like if you have that kind of attitude, then it's very easy to justify to yourself psychologically, um, whatever means necessary, you know, and that might mean, you know, exploiting one's sexual assets. I'm not saying that that's AOC's perspective. I don't actually know her well enough to, to judge that, but if it's not AOC, it's going to be someone else. Um, once this can of worms is opened, once this wall is broken down and any amount of sexual exploitation of oneself is mainstreamed or normalized, then yeah. Uh, Philip says, how does this tie into base Deleuze? I announced at the beginning, I'm taking a break from the, from the base Deleuze lectures. Um, so this is an interruption to our regular programming. This is not about base Deleuze. If anyone is here for that. So. Yeah, and today um, someone else is asking about this, so I'm not going to talk about base Deleuze at all today. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I did four one-hour lectures this week, and that was actually really grueling. It was fun. It was awesome. I think they came out quite well, and people seemed to really value them. It was good. It felt good to give proper academic lectures again. But um, on Friday, I'm t- I'm terrified. I'm uh, exhausted now. I'm tired, tired and exhausted is what I meant to say. And so since I had this kind of um, tweet go crazy last night i figured i'll just talk, i'll i'll still show up and do a live stream but i'll have a more relaxed and fun time speaking more freely about this so yeah if you're interested in the base if you're here for the base Deleuze lectures i will do my final base Deleuze lecture lecture number six on monday i'll aim to do it that will be on elizabeth grosh and darwinian feminism from a Deleuzean perspective okay so yeah if you're here for the Deleuze, um sorry i just did a last minute change change of topic and i'm not going to be getting to that today so just fyi right so that was the first difference that all these people telling me i'm a hypocrite because melania and ivanka do it also those they are not elected representatives so that's not that interesting what's interesting is because aoc is an elected representative the second interesting and unique aspect to aoc's um you know revealing of herself in this way is that it's an advertisement and this is crucial, folks. This is this is one of the reasons why I tweeted about this and why I found it so kind of profound and worth pointing out and, and reflecting on is because the thing about Facebook ads or ads in general is that you're spending a lot of money, right, to get these images out, to perform very specific functions, right? You have a, a very specific 
kind of optimization criterion, right? It, it might be driving engagement, getting likes to your page or selling products, or in this case, getting donations, right? So the people whose job it was to create these Facebook ads, they had one task, one goal. And we, we know this because it's in the nature of, of this type of advertisement. And you can deduce it from the content of the ad, the call to action in the ad. They're trying to raise money, right? They want donations. That is the explicit goal and purpose of these advertisements. And anyone who's done any Facebook ads before knows, even in the simplest case, you almost always upload a few different versions of things, a few different images, a few different text blurbs, and you run them all and you do this to learn which one works and which one doesn't work. And so you save money that way and you get the best results. Um, only, only like any, anyone who knows anything about how to do ads does this. Okay. So knowing that what that means is that this is something very different than a kind of accidental revealing of, of a nipple underneath clothing. Cause here's the thing. If it was just a, if someone, if she just took a selfie on Instagram or like someone took a photo of her and there happened to be a float, a photo floating around the internet where you can happen to see her nipple, that would not be interesting at all. And I would never draw attention to that. That actually would be rude of me to draw attention to that and, and comment on that or make any type of observation about that. That would actually be rude because it, it's, it's, it's random noise, right? It's not, it's not purposeful. Uh, it's not any, it's not anything systematic and you know, uh, it's just kind of rude to bring attention to random flukes uh, that have to do with someone's body. So that would be distasteful and, and rude, and I would not do that. The reason that this is so different and the reason why it's fair to draw attention to it and to reflect on it is because advertisements are a very systematic process. And it's pretty much impossible to do them without learning what works and what doesn't work and choosing to be strategic about that. And so because this is a very systematic type of process, advertisements, and because she is an elected representative, this is totally different than the photos uh, floating around of Melania and Ivanka Trump's uh, nipples being being visible. In fact, to, to cite those photos and make fun of them or criticize them, that's actually really rude, I think. Like I, I wouldn't do that to, to anyone. Um, this is different because it's it's for a very particular purpose, an instrumental purpose of raising money, and it's pretty much impossible to do this for any amount of time without realizing what is driving the results and what is not driving the results. As I said a few minutes ago in this in this live stream, even if this was a total accident and no one on the team had any idea that this photo they were using could could reveal the nipple, well almost certainly some sympathetic AOC fan, probably a woman especially, would send them a message saying, hey, just so you know, I want to let you know you can see your nipple in this um, to, to kind of let her know in case in case it was a fluke. So yeah, pretty much I think you can totally rule out the possibility that this was never realized by anyone doing the Facebook ads. It's, it's just, I think it's completely impossible to imagine that. So therefore you have to infer that this was a purposeful decision and at least after the fact, after it was realized, even if it was a fluke at the beginning, and it's being done for, to raise money. And, and I will bet you anything that this ad performs better than the ads where you cannot see her nipple. I mean, dude, like I, when I posted this tweet, more than a few people, dudes, um, 
I think they were like trying to own me. This was their, this is their way of owning me, but they replied to my tweet by saying, yeah, well, I just donated her campaign now, bro. Thanks for bringing attention, you know? And I'm like, that, that proves my point. That's exactly what's going on here. Like, that's why, that's why, that's why she's using her, her, her breast in this way. And yeah, so I think that's profound. I, I think that, I think that does represent a new threshold that we are only now crossing. So I actually, this has happened to me a few times now. This is not my first rodeo. And I've, every time it happens, I, I really do reflect on it. And I find it quite interesting because as I was lecturing in the past few days, actually, for those of you who don't know, I was giving lectures on, on the French philosopher Gilles Deleuze. I recently wrote a book called Based Deleuze and it's all about his philosophy. And so I've been giving academic lectures one hour pop uh, every day the past week. I've been talking about a kind of Deleuzean radical politics, what my vision of a a true radical left-wing political program or praxis should look like. And, and I draw mostly, you know, I'm, I'm very Deleuzean in my own kind of political philosophy. And in one of the lectures, I was explaining how one of the key characteristics of a genuine emancipatory radical praxis is speaking truth on taboo topics that both sides of the aisle, left and right, don't want anyone to talk about. And when you do that with a certain degree of precision and intensity, one of the inevitable results is that pretty much everyone hates you. So this does not mean I, I lectured about this at length in a, in a some in a rather technical way, uh, kind of explaining how that works using examples from ancient uh, philosophical practice all the way up to contemporary information theory. This has been one of the things I've actually really been studying. I also posted on my on my Twitter a link to um, I posted a podcast on my podcast, the Other Life podcast. I posted a talk that I gave on precisely this concept in the ancient world. It was called Parisia. It means frank speech. Uh, but it's a very particular type of practice and has kind of technical protocols. One of those, one of those requirements for it to function politically is that you have to incur a cost. And that is what makes it credible. That, that is what makes people pay attention to it and makes it unable, makes the, makes them unable to dismiss it. So I talked about this at length. I've been studying this literally for years. Okay. So, uh, people think I'm just like a troll. I'm just kind of trying to say provocative things to get attention and they could not be more wrong. The fact is, I'm trying to figure out the most foundational hypocrisies that define bourgeois society as we know it, because I believe that intellectuals, whether we be artists or scientists or whatever, have to find those and then discuss them and illustrate them and explore how they work and do that publicly to the greatest degree possible. And one of the absolutely necessary recurring consequences or symptoms of doing this well is that people hate you and it will get attention. That is very different than seeking attention, okay? I'm seeking dangerous truths and if I'm doing that well, then ipso facto, they will get attention and negative attention mostly. But that does not mean I'm optimizing for negative attention, not at all. I find it rather annoying. Well, it's fun at first and then it becomes annoying. So yeah, I've been thinking about this for a very long time, all right? And it's it's an essential part of, of my long-term intellectual project. And I, I think it should be an essential part of the, the long-term project of anyone who's, who's really engaged in a, a serious, honest, radical um, pursuit of the truth, whether that be in art or philosophy or science or politics. And it's people who are institutionalized. Okay. If you have a status position and you have a salary coming from some sort of like official um, institutionalized position, whether you're an academic or you're a journalist for some sort of like big 
New York media agency, anyone like that, on some level, they're seeking the truth or they're trying to do something good. Of course, everyone is you know trying their best to do something good. But those people, what happens is in ways that they don't necessarily realize, they have to make so many compromises with their pursuit of the truth that sometimes those compromises can become like 90% of, of what they're really doing with their life and their, and their energy. And the actual truth seeking is only like 10% of what they're really doing. It's only now that we have the internet and not just the internet, but we have, it's now sufficiently normalized and socialized and things like payment technologies are now sufficiently smooth. They've only recently become sufficiently smooth and people are now accustomed to paying for things that they like and paying directly to people that they that they support. And these types of norms, these are social norms, right? And it takes a long time for them to, to become uh, available to people mentally, psychologically. And so even though the internet and social media have been around for quite some time, we're only now really crossing the threshold where people are realizing like, oh, academics are actually really ideological. And what they're doing is only 10% truth-seeking and 90% kind of weird institutional, ideological, self-serving games. And as a result, people who want intellectual content, people who want to hear about philosophies and learn about philosophies or hear about science and learn about science, they're just kind of like, oh, all these people that are officially in positions to do this, who we recognize as like the experts, they're actually not doing it. They're doing some other like ridiculous game that's pretty much for their own paychecks. And it it makes them do all this posturing that's fake and, and also ridiculous. Like it's, it's often like impossible to listen to so dense and kind of um, uninteresting. And so now we're only now at this, at this threshold where the stupidity of the institutionalized people who have made these compromises just to keep a paycheck is, is getting so bad. It's becoming so unbearable and, and obvious. And at the same time, so as, as the, as the interest of the official people is going down, right. Um, the ability for people to just create their own projects on the internet and the ability for people and the normalcy of people paying for things directly, all of that is going up. So what's happening is you're getting this right now. We're at this intersection where the decline of institutions is intersecting with the increasing normalcy and ease of just paying people who are doing something original and creative for what you want, for whatever you want. Right. Um, and so this is, this is like the crazy moment that we're in. This is why it's like Bri people like Brianna Wu. She's like appointed herself, like one of my major enemies over the past um, few months. Every time I tweet something provocative, you know, she's like plays the moral police or whatever. Um, I have no idea what this woman's ever even done or accomplished. All I know is she got famous in the Gamergate conflict as like a kind of notorious sort of crazed SJW type woman. I, I don't know if she's ever done anything or created or anything or or achieved anything at all. Like I, maybe she has, I'm just saying I'm not aware of any, of anything she's ever done or accomplished. Um, but she has a blue check on Twitter and she is like telling me when I tweet, she's telling me things like, Oh, you're never going to be, you're never going to be able to get a job after this. You are, um, you know, you're, you really better think twice. This is a bad idea for you. I'm like, no, you don't get it. You no, you think that, and you are the one who, clearly is obsessed with employability. Like you're just trying to, you go on Twitter, people like Brianna Wu who are playing this institutional game. They, everything they say and do is about optimizing to basically please other people with power. That that's literally what words are to them are words are tools to say the right things, to make people with power 
like them. That is the opposite of truth-seeking. Like literally it, it is the opposite. What I am doing and what true intellectuals are doing and learning now to do on the internet, purely on the internet without any institutional affiliations, is you can just try to figure out what is really true as as dangerously and as intensely as possible. And then you just say it, even if it pisses off people in power, even if people hate hearing it. And that you can, if you start doing that, guess what? There's actually hundreds, thousands of people out there who really want to hear radical, creative individuals, independent thinkers, independent intellectuals say what is true, even if, you know, 99% of the world hates it or doesn't want to hear it. There are, you know, you only need a few thousand people in the world to be interested in what you're saying. And for a small fraction of those even to want to give you some money to, to, to pay for your books or to buy, you know, to, to, to either give you patronage to enable you to do what you're doing. Like I have patrons who enable me to do what I'm doing. I write books and people buy them that enables me to do what I'm doing. You can piss off 99% of the entire world. Okay. Including people in power. If you're just being real and you're working hard to figure out how real things work and report it honestly and dangerously so, intensely so, then you only need 0.0001% of the world. Even that is probably huge, right? Um, to, To understand what you're doing, to like what you're doing, and to throw you a little bit of money for you to do what you're doing. And that's happening now more and more. And this is why you're seeing these crazy existential conflicts on the internet. You have the blue checks who are doing a totally different type of game. They're playing a totally different game in a totally different type of world, and they're essentially liars. I mean, they're using words in a way that is not at all honest for their own personal salaries, essentially. And they dress it up as intellectual. They dress it up as, oh, I'm a journalist. I'm doing, you know, serious reporting, or I'm doing, you know, I'm an academic. I'm doing really hard research. When in fact, yeah, kind of, they're trying to. Like 10% of what they're doing is about that. Um, but the other 90% is just this fluff and this kind of flattering of people with power. And it's, 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 they're going down. They're going down. That whole game is up. It's really rapidly. It's really, really rapidly dying. And that's why they're freaking out. That's why people like Brianna Wu are so kind of weirdly kind of crazy and and dumb. And then that's also why you have people like me who like, I read a tweet and it, it gets ratioed. I'm supposed to be owned. I'm supposed to be like sad, but I'm just, all I'm doing is thinking. I mean, this, this tweet is like not that profound. It's like just an everyday observation really. And, um, and half of the world like wants to jump down my throat and say I'm evil, but they don't realize that a different game is now emerging, that independent intellectuals can play a totally different game and it works and no amount of moralism is going to stop it. So, yeah. I mean, that's frankly one of the reasons why now one of my major efforts, one of my major projects I'm working on right now is I'm building a private community for independent intellectuals who are based on the internet, for serious thinkers who are working on long-term projects who don't have an institutional affiliation and probably don't want one, uh, but they're just like me trying to figure out this new world. You know, it's not clear how to do it, right? It's not clear what are the best practices. This new type of independent intellectual I'm, I'm referring to now, it's, it's obviously real because I'm doing it, I'm succeeding, and other people are too. But no one has a kind of self-consciousness of it yet. We don't know the best practices for how to do it, how to bootstrap kind of independent intellectual projects on the internet in the most effective and reliable way for impact and for financial success. So I'm making a private community where I'm, I'm basically bringing in or inviting um, all of the best independent intellectuals to hang out in one place and share knowledge and share tips and tricks and network and you know co-host and 
guest on each other's podcasts and, and collaborate and all this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, it's called indiethinkers.org. And I'm actually not hyping it that much at the moment. It's, it's currently closed. It's private, but I am accepting invitation requests. So if that describes you, if that appeals to you, if that resonates with how you see yourself and your own goals, then, uh, you can, you can request an invitation just at indiethinkers.org. There's nothing there yet except a, a button to, to request an invitation. It is a paid community, by the way. So, um, that's kind of necessary because I want to limit it to people who are doing serious work in a kind of professional manner. You know, I, I only want to bring in people who are trying to get really serious about what they're doing. And so they will be happy to pay a little bit each month on the, on the wager that this will be really important for increasing their own kind of impact and influence and ultimately their own income. So yeah, it's a bit elitist, I guess, but I am trying to limit it just to people who are doing professional serious projects um, if you're a student or you're poor, um, I have, I have like some scholarship kind of options, which, um, you can ask me about, but, um, yeah, it is, it is a paid thing. And that's why, that's why I'm building up. Cause I, I, I really deeply believe that there is a, um, a major, a major change taking place. And I don't think people, a lot of people really genuinely don't realize what's going on. So yeah, shout out to Philip Daniel. I see him in the chat. He's, he's one of the first invitees we i think we have about 25 people so far i'm doing it slowly i I only want to bring people on in a careful way so i can make sure everyone's happy and enjoying it and i don't want to just grow really fast and then be overwhelmed and it be a bad experience for everyone so yeah enough about that um the other interesting thing that i that i i find fascinating about this um tweet and just kind of the larger phenomenon of ratio tweets is that often a defining characteristic of these tweets is that they don't actually make a judgment one way or another. So if you if you look at my tweet carefully, right, um, I'm not saying AOC is good or bad. I'm not saying this is a – I'm not even – I'm really not even making a judgment. And yet people flip out as if I am making a judgment. So if you go through my notifications, like most of them are just going on about like how dare I shame her. Like there's no shame in this tweet. Um Stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. But what I've learned is that although I'm I'm not a, I'm honestly not a troll and I don't see myself that way, the the fact of the matter is that it is kind of fun to do this. Um and I have kind of been studying like which of my tweets get ratioed in this kind of explosive way and which which of them don't. And I've been kind of um analyzing like how the how it works. Like what are the what are the characteristics of a tweet that increase the probability of it going getting ratioed in this way and mind you every time a tweet gets ratioed generally only good things happen i get a whole new load of twitter followers i get a whole bunch more of email subscribers and and so generally nothing bad happens and only good things happen so it's kind of in my interest to to figure out how this works i i still insist that i'm not a troll i don't i'm not optimizing for attention and i'm not just trying to provoke i'm looking for dangerous truths and then if I find one that is kind of interesting and worth sharing, then yes, frankly, I want it to have the greatest impact. I want it to ripple through society as much as possible. I want, I want it to upset bourgeois hypocrites to the maximum degree. Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, and so what, what I've done is I've, I've started writing out all of the insights, like how to essentially how to craft a, a ratio tweet. That's why I've, I've labeled this, uh, this live stream, the art of the ratio. And I have like a bunch of insights really. And I've actually, I have so many insights about how to do it that I've actually made a free online course 
here's, this is how I really wanted to own people like Brianna Wu is not just, you know, proudly, you know, own my ratios, but to actually elaborate them and go into greater detail about how to do it because there is something of a science to it. And so what I'll do is I'll just, I'll tell you right now, like a few of the major bullet points in this free online course that I'm, that I'm offering. It's just a bunch of emails that you can actually subscribe below. There's a link, but I'll just tell you right now, like what, what, what the ideas are. So one of them is, um, this starting point, if you look closely at the tweet, how it starts with, am I insane? Or if you remember the other tweets that I did that were really, um, pretty explosive, if you remember those ones, both of them, there were two of them. The one was about necrophilia and the other one was about, um, uh, the, the Thunberg Epstein tweet. That one was, um, that those, those two, they both started off with the phrase, not even being, not even being provocative, but, and so I now have this hypothesis that, and again, I, this isn't validated. I would need to do like some proper data science to, to test this hypothesis. And maybe that's something I could do in the future, but I believe that if you start a tweet off with this kind of lead, what you're doing is you're basically telling the reader, buckle up, this is going to be good. You know, you're kind of priming them to expect something kind of explosive. Um, but you're doing it in a counterintuitive way. It's kind of reverse psychology. Like you're starting off by telling them, some, it's like you're trying to ease, you're trying to disarm them. You know, like, look, I'm not even trying to be provocative. And that makes people think, oh, this is going to be provocative. You know what I mean? And if you start off with like, am I insane? Or what I'm actually doing in, on a literal level is I am being modest and I'm, I'm trying not to be, you know, I'm, I'm recognizing that perhaps I'm misunderstanding something, right? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not seeing something. Maybe I'm, I'm pinching my cheek. Like, am I insane? But by doing that, what people actually think as they're reading that is, oh, this is going to be insane. <laughs> and so I think that this is a really, I think this is one of my hypotheses about the anatomy of a ratio tweet. It's like you start off with something that is on a literal level, very innocent and and humble, right? I'm not even being provocative or am I insane? This sort of thing, this sort of vibe. And then in our crazy Twitter culture, because people are so crazy and suspicious and paranoid, the actual effect that has on people's minds is to make them expect, oh, this is going to be provocative or, or this is going to be insane. Okay, so that's step one in the art of the ratio. Again, my, my free online course kind of goes into all of this. The second thing is, this is one sort of obvious, you have to find something that is a kind of foundational hypocrisy. So it has to be something that the left and the right don't really want to talk about. Um, so necrophilia is a good example. Pedophilia is another good example. And in this case, I mean, um, I don't know. I guess you could, You, I guess you, I think that this rule might, might apply a little bit less to this because in some sense this is most of the people who interpreted this tweet interpreted it as they assume that I was a right winger who's just um, getting down on the on on AOC for her looks and for her you know kind of sexual prowess. Apparently, that's a major talking point. Like again, I live under a rock. I actually don't know what's like fashionable, but apparently there are a lot of right wingers who critique AOC for her um, you know kind of sexualized multimedia. And um, so so I guess this one does appear kind of loaded on on a kind of anti-left side but with my other two explosive tweets the necrophilia one and the pedophilia one i think what was crucial about their explosiveness was that 
it really wasn't left or right. It kind of like was off the map of of any type of reasonable talking point. Pretty much no one on the left um, or the right makes claims about like necrophilia and kind of the same with pedophilia. It's sort of like a no-go zone on the left and the right. So if you can come up with that kind of observation that is um, true and, and rational and that really kind of pokes at something that neither the left nor the right is really willing to talk about, that's a very um, that's going to significantly increase the probability of a tweet going going crazy. Um, the second thing, or the third thing now that I would highlight is that um, you actually want to only make one point. I, I've learned over time that one of the ways that I fail with my tweets, like um, a bad habit I have sometimes, which I think really inhibits the the success of tweets, is trying to pack in too much. I think if you try to pack in like too many points or caveats or qualifications, it it can be a bad move because one because people are just not that smart and they they are impatient, right? So you want to just limit each tweet to essentially one one zing, and the rest can kind of distract. But the other reason you you don't want to add too much or other subpoints or qualifications or whatever is because here's the insight: the more content that you pack into a tweet the more reasons you're giving people to not retweet it or to not share it, because you have to remember like almost all social media sharing activity is about identity, right? So people are, people are sharing because they're signaling their kind of in-group status to their friends or whatever. They're, they're showing, you know, how smart they are or how morally ethical they are. And so if you give a kind of very nuanced tweet that, that, Let's say I added two sentences to this that kind of qualified it. Then one of those extra sentences could have um, sounded an alarm in in people's minds where they're like, "Okay, this tweet is ridiculous. This this is like I kind of want to share this because I want to jump down this guy's throat." But he said this one or two. He said one or two other things that if I if I retweet this making fun of it, then my friends might think I'm against them, right? So. The, this is why you really want to make tweets um, really kind of focused, I think, and not try to pack in too many conflicting messages. And so, yeah. So for instance, like when I was drafting this, I did have a strong sense because I've done this many times before. I did have a strong sense. Okay. This one is going to be pretty big, I think. Um, So I was actually considering a few extra sentences to kind of make it more nuanced or even to make it a little bit zingier. Like I was, I was kind of trying to enhance it, but then I, I remembered from experience. I said, no, Justin, um, err on the side of, of shortness, err on the side of just making one point instead of like making a, making one point with a few qualifications. Okay. So that's, that's another, another insight. Um, finally, you know, there are a few other things I have to say, which I say in the online course, <laughs> by the way, it's totally free. There's a link in the description below. Um, I kind of, I kind of give you everything I know about kind of the science of, of, of communicating provocative truths on the internet and what to expect and how to interpret the, the hate that you're going to get and how to make the most of it, you know, for your own projects, like how to, how to channel it into, um, you know, productivity and, uh, and essentially like growing your platform. Um, but the other kind of crucial insight, honestly, is that you don't make a judgment. Okay. That is one of the keys to, to, to writing an explosive ratio tweet, because if you make a judgment, what that means is you're only going to get attacked by one half of the population. Whereas if you just pinpoint a provocative truth that generally people don't want to be associated with, 
for any reason. If you just do that without judgment, then you get this magical phenomenon of people criticizing you for two totally different things. And all of the explosive ratio tweets that I've done, they had this quality or property. Half of the hatred I was getting was for one thing. The other half of the hatred was for another thing. And those two things people hated me for were literally opposite. They were mutually exclusive. Um, like not both of them could have been true. The only way you get that is by making a kind of um, a kind of taboo observation about something, some some kind of foundational bourgeois hypocrisy, and then you don't pass judgment. And what that means is it allows both sides of the debate or both sides of the political spectrum to assume that you're making a judgment. And that has been a, an absolute characteristic ingredient of all of my explosive ratio tweets. Um, in the psychology of the people who are dogpiling you, you're they think you're making a judgment. But the only reason they think you're making a judgment and the only reason both sides can assume that you're making a judgment and they can both be essentially making contradictory inferences is because you didn't make a judgment at all. You just pointed out a provocative truth. The reason people do this, by the way, is that most tweeting is just trying to make some sort of cheap judgment. It's it's saying, hey, I'm on this team or I'm on that team. Um, I'm against this. I'm for this. Like. That's what most people on Twitter do. But true intellectuals, you see, true philosophers and true scientists, we're not so interested in making judgments. Like we want to just uh, – we want to figure things out. We want to know what's true. We want to point out what's really going on in, in an honest way. The judgments can come later or you know, it's the least interesting part of the game of intellectual life for you know, true intellectuals in my sense of what a true independent intellectual is. And so it's so rare for people to just make observations with no judgment that if it's about something politically sensitive, then everyone is going to assume that you're making a judgment. And that is what allows for this kind of exponential um, kind of explosiveness. If you make a judgment then explicitly, then one half of the population is not going to dogpile you. And then that means your tweet is not going to be explosive. Okay. So, I've pretty much told you all the major bullet points of um, the art of the ratio. And uh, if you're interested in that, I, as I said before, I do have this online course. It's just a bunch of emails. It's kind of silly, but I think it's fun and people, people seem to enjoy it and take some value out of it. I pretty much explain my larger reasoning around like how to think about um, communicating provocative intellectual truths on Twitter, uh, how to kind of brace yourself for the result, how to kind of get the maximum impact and uh, what to do with it when it happens. Hint, one of the crucial things you need to keep in mind is uh, you have to learn to not check your mentions after this sort of thing kicks off. Because look, it's really easy to waste literally two or three days just refreshing. When you, if because look, I'm not like super famous. I don't have 100,000 Twitter followers. So generally, you know, the average amount of engagement on my tweets is, it's not that much, you know. Um, so it's only when things go explosive like this um, where I can hit refresh on the notifications page and every time I hit refresh, it gives the 20 plus sign. That's very rare for me. You know, like um, maybe once a day I get like the 20 plus sign on the refresh. But when you can re hit refresh every single second and you get the 20 plus symbol on the notifications button, it's 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 really addicting. I mean, in, on an obvious kind of uh, technical way that we know that to be the case. And when that's happening, you can literally sit there for four hours just scrolling through the mentions in this kind of 
slightly exhilarated, slightly nervous, slightly kind of anxious um, state of mind. And before you know it, like four hours have gone away and you were supposed to do some bit of work that you just totally forgot about. And honestly, that is the worst thing that can happen from having an explosive tweet. The only negative consequence that has ever really affected me from getting this kind of like dogpiling on the internet, the consequences are almost all good. I get more followers. I get more email subscribers. I get emails from people saying like who understand what I'm doing. Um, it's almost all good. The only real material, tangible, negative consequence, um, aside from the fact that I had to leave academia, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, the only like material consequence that that is negative is it can be really distracting and it can absorb your mental space for possibly days because here's how it happens. Here's, here's how it gets into your brain when it first kicks off and you're getting all this kind of attention on, on your mentions, you think to yourself, surely this is going to die down, right? So I can, I can swipe through the mentions for just a minute. This is fascinating. It's kind of exhilarating. It's kind of anxious, but it's like, you're waiting for it to go away. You're checking the mentions to see have they died down yet. And you're kind of telling yourself, surely this is going to die down any minute. So you just keep checking, checking, refreshing, refreshing, and it doesn't die down and it doesn't die down. And then it's like three days later and you're like, it still hasn't died down. And then you realize like you didn't do shit over those three days. That is the only real problem I've ever had or the only real negative consequence. Um, so my, one of my crucial bits of advice for people who are going to pursue this kind of uh, intellectual strategy that I'm teaching people essentially now um, for how to be an a real genuine intellectual on the internet and talk about things that other people don't want to talk about. This is something I urge you to be aware of. So if you're lucky enough to have an explosive tweet that really um, explodes some sort of bourgeois hypocrisy. Um, awesome. You should, you should feel great about yourself. That's great. Um, but just walk away, go do something productive, channel the excitement, channel that exhilaration and use it to go do something uh, fun or valuable or productive um, because then you can, while you're doing that other work, you can kind of say to yourself, okay, just wait, I'll go back in four hours when I'm done with this work and I'll have like 30,000 mentions and it'll feel really funny and, and exhilarating and exciting. You'll get that dopamine hit later and it'll be the way I justify it to myself is like, just do four hours of productive work and then go check your mentions. And it'll be even more fun to see like, uh, all, you know, everything that's kicked off. So these are all just uh, kind of little tips and tricks for how to, how to, how to, how to handle this new type of intellectual life that people like myself and, and many others also are starting to realize, right? Like Amy Therese, shout out. I, I know, I know that I, I know when I can see other people who do the same types of things that I'm doing. And, uh, it's a real, it's a real viable pathway to figuring out the, the intellectual currents that are currently being under analyzed or underappreciated by other people simply because um, most people go on Twitter to, you know, do in-group signaling and to pretty much like be on some kind of team or to impress people with power and to make more money or whatever. Like that's what most people are doing on, on a basic level. So if you're actually interested in figuring out um, radical hidden truths, uh, you have to be willing to let lots of people hate you. But um, there are lots of people like me out there who will understand what you're doing and will appreciate it and will follow you for it and will pay attention to you for it and will kind of trust you in a way because you're willing, if you're willing to take your licks and you're willing to get in some trouble, it means that you're the real deal intellectually. It means that you're doing something different than just trying to get, you know, power or status or whatever. And so, yeah, that is pretty much, I think, the end of today's lecture on the art of the ratio. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.